Welcome to Training for Manhood, an ongoing exploration and adventure intended to be fast, fun, and formative for guys who desire to be the best men they can. Young or old, there are always areas for improvement, growth, and maturity. We hope you'll pay attention and put into practice the useful advice you hear on this podcast. But remember, the goal isn't just to listen, but to do what you learn. Welcome to Training for Manhood. All right, welcome back to Training for Manhood. This is Dan Panetti. I've got a good friend, Ryan Bangert, who happens to be down in Austin. He's uh, an attorney with uh, Alliance Defending Freedom. So, Ryan, welcome to the program. Dan, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me on. Yes, and uh, we were just... uh, uh, thinking about uh, the Dobbs decision, and uh, for this particular podcast, this is actually going to release on July 4th. Uh, so as, uh, as guys are listening to this, uh, maybe on July 4th, uh, they might be thinking, you know, hey, well, I thought this would be kind of a program about you know, America and freedom and all that it entails. Um, and it's kind of an interesting concept because um, I really, when the Dobbs decision came out, um, I was fascinated just with how important this particular decision is for America and really how our American government is set up and what this decision represents. And I think a lot of people um, are kind of missing it because they're focusing a lot on uh, the abortion issue and should a woman have a right to choose and all the different things. Um, but I went back and I was just kind of looking at, you know, July 4th is actually the celebration of the passage of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, And when you go back and you read the Declaration of Independence, which our framers kind of put together and said, hey, uh, we're we're, um, throwing off this oppressive governmental system and we're choosing um, to be governed uh, in a sense um, by ourselves. But one of the things they wrote was, um, it says this, it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, uh, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to abolish or to alter or abolish it and institute new government. Now, we're not throwing off our government right now, um, but the whole concept of that idea is um, that life is so important um, that as free individuals, uh, we don't want government to determine Um, when our life begins or when our life should end um, or what the quality of our life should be. And I was just kind of struck with the whole idea that the Dobbs decision um, actually did that, exactly that. It uh, it put the right of life back into the hands of the people instead of uh, into the hands of the justices of the Supreme Court, which actually took it in the Roe versus Wade decision in 1973. So I was just kind of fascinated by just kind of that concept as an American citizen. Ryan, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts and your perspective on that as well. Right. Well, Abraham Lincoln once analogized the Declaration of Independence to an apple of gold framed in silver, and the silver mm-hmm. being the Constitution. And the idea, of course, being that, as you mentioned, the Declaration of Independence. Uh, talks about and articulates these fundamental inalienable rights. Among these are life, first and foremost. And life is a right that all of us have a natural right to. Uh, It's a right that precedes government. It's something that God has given us because God is the author of life. And the frame of silver around that right uh, is the Constitution. And the Constitution articulates a set of principles, structural principles for government 
that are intended to ensure that inalienable rights like life can be properly guaranteed. And I think what the Dobbs decision did was exactly what you pointed out. It took that decision uh, over life and death, especially with respect to the unborn that had been arrogated and seized by the US Supreme Court back in 1973 in the Roe versus Wade decision. And it put that question back into the political process where the people and their elected officials can speak into and ultimately articulate rules governing the protection of life. Uh, you know, many people have, and this has been demagogued endlessly really since last Friday when mm -hmm. Dobbs came down, uh, this idea that over, the overturn of Roe versus Wade means that abortion is now illegal in all 50 states. Uh, that's not true. That's not right. the case. Uh, what Roe versus Wade said was that the Constitution prohibits states from regulating abortion up until a certain point. Uh, the first trimester, which ultimately was extended to viability in the, in the Casey decision. All that, all the overturn of Roe means is that states now can decide whether or not to protect life. And many states are making that choice. Tragically, a number of other states have chosen to go in the opposite direction and guarantee abortion up until really the, the moment of birth, which puts them on par with nation, such a, a good company as North Korea and China. Yeah, very uh, so true. It's, you know, we, we're looking now at a very different situation where uh, the principles of federalism dictate that the states are now going to go in very different directions. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the Constitution and kind of the principles of federalism, um, because some people, when, when they think about particular issues, um, they forget that this particular system of government um, works in a particular way. It, it, was, it was framed uh, to work um, by the consent of the governed. Uh, and as a, as a citizen in this particular country, um, I elect um, you know, representatives uh, to take my views and values uh, and to uh, pass laws. Um, and then those are uh, then executed right, by the executive branch. And, and you know, the judicial branch has an important role. Um, it limits uh, what the legislative branch uh, can and can't do within the constitutional framework. Um, but when the, when the judicial branch itself uh, begins to write laws and begins to find rights, um, like they did in the you know Roe decision. Um, you know, then it becomes something where, as a as a citizen, I don't have a say in that, right? That that law then becomes something that those um, you know justices have instituted, and we can't uh, pass laws to do anything uh, to prohibit it or uh, to ensure it or anything because because it's taken out of the legislative process. And so, just that that important aspect, right, is. When you go back and you look at the Constitution, right, Article One is the legislative branch. Um, it was instituted to be, in a sense, the most important branch because it is the one that's connected to the people. Article Two is the executive branch. Uh, we get to elect our governors. We get to elect our mayors. We get to elect our president. Right. We we expect them, um, you know, to uh, take those laws that have been passed um, and to execute them and put. You know, they have the power to do that. But then Article Three is the judges. Um, and I think the way the framers established that particular role of those judges was they have a very important role um, in, you know, in, in maintaining and limiting the power uh, of the other two branches, uh, but they were never supposed to usurp that power and begin to write the laws that they wanted to. And so to me, the Dobbs decision is a great reminder um, that you know, Roe versus Wade, is, as you know, Justice Alito said, it was you know, egregiously decided when it was. And 
um, even in the dissent of Roe, um, you know, they were talking about how this is just, um, you know, just a, a power grab, you know, if you will. And so Dobbs at least takes it back, gives it to the people where you and I now as citizens um, of our particular state can go and, you know, uh, elect legislators, uh, lobby those legislators, uh, have our voice heard in our particular state. And as you said, uh, there will be some states that are uh, protective of the uh, the child, right? Um, and there are some states uh, that will not. And so that's a very, you know, to me, it's, it's a very American decision as it's played out in how our government is set up and framed. What do you think about that? It is. In fact, in uh, Federalist number 78, Alexander Hamilton famously said that the judiciary exercises neither force nor will, but merely judgment. And that was his, his articulation of the mm-hmm. role of courts under the Constitution, which you just discussed, Article One, the legislative branch, Article Two, the executive, Article Three, the judiciary. And you're absolutely right in the sense that many people, in fact, most people, even those on the left, have criticized the Roe decision for being a power grab for being an exercise of force and will and not judgment. In fact, the Roe decision was almost completely devoid of any kind of constitutional reasoning. It was not constitutional law. Uh, Even Justice Ginsburg uh, readily admitted that it was not an act of constitutional interpretation, but really a power grab. And so- I was going to say one of the things that you're going to you're going to hear, and and um, you know Alito and the dissent in this opinion uh, dealt a lot with it. Is a, a term you know that as an attorney you know we're going to refer to as stare decisis, but it's basically just let the decision stand. And it seemed like the dissent in this case that that was basically their uh, their biggest argument, right? Was Roe versus Wade is is basically 49 years old. Um, it is a decision, right or wrong. Um, that um, has basically put into the mind of an entire generation that abortion is legal, um, and uh, or according to our you know president, whoever said to you know uh, safe, legal, and rare, which it, it was never <laughs> safe was or Bill, rare. Bill Clinton's old Bill Clinton, right? Yes. Um, but you know the idea that it was legal, and so you've had an entire uh, generation of people who have grown up with this particular law, um, and so the the whole idea that the decision is there. Um, and whether it's right or wrong, we should let it stand. So what's your opinion on that? I know Justice Alito um, did not take that and he gave good reasons why, um, you know, the precedent of the court in several cases in the past has been overturned. And, and here's his reasoning why they're going to go ahead and overturn a, a major landmark decision of Roe versus Wade. But what's your thought on that as well? I think the court got it right when it said stare decisis, the principle of letting decisions precedent stand, really didn't apply well here. Uh, in fact, at the argument, uh, when Dobbs has argued back in this past winter, the Solicitor General of the United States argued that uh, it was actually precedent on precedent because you mm. have Roe and then you have Casey. And Casey said, we're going to go with stare decisis, let the decision stand. So it was double stare decisis. And Justice Alito uh, was, I think, very rightly waved all of that aside. And he pointed to some of the factors the court evaluates when deciding whether to apply stare decisis. And one is, was the original decision right? Was it rightly decided at the time? No question, no question that it was wrongly decided. It wasn't an act of constitutional law. Even the dissent was at pains to come up with the justification on the law for it. And so then you turn to things like reliance interests. Has it become so embedded in American society that uh, everyone relies on this decision now? And Alito said, well, no, there are no intractable reliance interests here because uh, pregnancy is something that 
uh, as we all know, you can plan for uh, that medical science is allowed for uh, true family planning to occur. Uh, so the reliance interest is really illusory here. And the other thing that he pointed to, I think is very important, and you mentioned this, uh, has the precedent ultimately been accepted by the American people? And there unquestionably the answer is no. In fact, what Roe and Casey have done have been to cause even greater divisions in American society by removing this important question from the political process. And so on that score, on the question of whether the Roe and Casey decisions had been accepted by the American public, uh, it pointed in the opposite direction. It had actually caused, in deeper, divi caused deeper divisions. And in fact, uh, the, the opinion talked about the abortion distortion. Uh, the, abort the principle of a constitutional right of abortion has actually caused all sorts of distortions in the law that need to be remedied and rectified now. Uh, and so uh, I think his application of stereodecisis in terms of throwing out the old decision was absolutely correct. Well, this is a podcast for men uh, training for manhood, um, and abortion has often been considered a women's rights issue. Um, what would you say uh, to other guys out there um, when this particular issue comes up? And, and because of our gender, because we're men, um, we apparently have no voice on the issue of abortion. Um, does this particular decision help with that concept? Because um, what, what you have is you have the, the court com coming back and saying that this really you know, isn't just a women's issue. This is a life issue. This is a constitutional issue. Um, but I thought it was interesting. Alito did kind of play to the uh, crowd a little bit when he said it's, you know, if, if it is a women's issue, um, you know, women can vote, women can run for office, women can be involved in the political process. And I'm actually taking it out of the hands of nine justices and placing it back into the hands of just citizens um, and women, you know, in a sense, uh, vote more as a percentage of men. Um, and so it's kind of an interesting, you know, argument uh, that, you know, I, I think men need to be involved in the political process. We need to be uh, outspoken on this particular issue. But what would you say to um, a guy who, uh, because of this particular way that abortion has been framed in the past, uh, they feel like they can't speak to this particular issue? That's a very good question. And the, the honest answer is that abortion is a a tragic response to a real problem. Mm. And the real problem is that there are a number of women who experience pregnancies that for one reason or another, they believe they cannot uh, carry to term. Okay. And why, why is that? Uh, well, the, the statistics and the data that we have show that the vast majority of women who seek abortions are single mothers, and most of them already have children and a large percentage of them are living at or below the poverty level. So what does that tell you? It tells you that abortion is something that is sought by women in desperate circumstances, in dire right. circumstances. Right. Uh, they are look, turning to that. And, and honestly, if you, if, and there is some good data on this. Uh, the majority of women who go through with an abortion decision, when polled, when asked, will say if they felt they had a better choice or a better solution, they would have taken that over abortion. Mm. So what does that say to men? Well, a, pregnancies take two. And if you're dealing with a phenomena, a cultural phenomena that is afflicting primarily single women, women who are struggling with poverty, women who are already experiencing uh, the, the effects of single motherhood, where are the men in that equation? 
That's a great question. And I think it's a real challenge to men. Uh, if, if men were present, if men were discharging their obligations and their duties, if they were t- being accountable to their moral obligations, if they were treating women uh, biblically in a way that God commands, in a way that God demands of us, I think you would see abortion become much less prevalent just based on the raw statistics. If you had women who uh, were in relationships with men who are responsible and accountable to God's command to care for and uplift those who are vulnerable, uh, I think you would see abortion uh, become a, a, a really a footnote in American society. So that, that is such a profound concept that I think that you are challenging men with. And that is, um, men, if you see this as an injustice, if you see this as a uh, wrong that needs to be righted, um, it's not just something to uh, be outspoken about, and it's not just something to um, be an active participant and a citizen in, but it's also something to be responsible for the decisions that you have made. Uh, And there are so many men who have placed women in that situation where they feel like abortion uh, is a viable solution because so many men have, uh, n- you know, been negligent on their duty of providing um, the home, the care, and the comfort um, for uh, the woman that is carrying their child. Because, right, as you said, right, that child is the product of both a man and a woman. Uh, and if a woman has a decision to make, uh, and she's making that particular decision absent the care uh, and the provision and the protection. Uh, of, her, of her husband, of a man who's responsible, uh, then we find ourselves in this particular situation. So you're right. If, if I think more men stepped up and said, hey, that's my responsibility and I'm going to provide and I'm going to protect uh, and not place women in that particular situation, right? we remove ourselves even from the legality uh, conversation uh, of whether abortion is legal or not. Uh, and we get back to you know, the conversation of um, you know, uh, uh, a mom and a dad, a husband and a wife, uh, two people who are providing for. Um, now, once we get past that, um, you know, you may have other things and, and we get into the other part of that. And I think men still have a responsibility to voice their care and concern um, for the voiceless um, and still stand up. But you're right. I think that's the first first question that men have to be able to respond to and answer. And that is, are they being responsible first and yeah. foremost? Agree. And, and you also hit on something else. Many of the men who are listening to this podcast are men who are stepping up, who are taking responsibility, and they deserve to be commended for that. Yes. Because our society is really awash in, in criticism of biblical manhood. And I want to salute those men who are listening to this podcast, who are stepping up and taking responsibility in a biblical way. And there's a role for those men to play too, just like you said, Dan. Uh, there has never been a greater need for uh, support for crisis pregnancy centers, for financial Mm -hmm. support, for ministries that are reaching out to women. There's never been a greater need for strong, godly men to come alongside uh, women who are struggling, whether financially or affording time, uh, opening their families up, their homes, uh, even up to and including fostering and adopting kids. There's so well, many I'm, ways. Yeah. So I'm glad you threw that in because that might be something that, you know, in addition to, um, you know, men being responsible for the uh, the children that they have, right. But also the, the uh, availability of being uh, responsible, right. For those um, unplanned or unwanted pregnancies where women uh, go ahead and do a very courageous thing and bring a child to term, but they are unable to, or don't want to raise that child. Uh, we're going to need a lot more uh, families who are willing to adopt. 
there are going to be a lot more children that are going to be placed into that foster care system. And we need a lot more families that are willing to uh, provide that foster care. And so there's a great opportunity for men to step up, uh, not just if it's their child, but any child. And I think that's a that's a great reminder to us uh, in training for manhood. It's just the responsibility that comes, whether it's individually or whether it's community and corporately, uh, that we have a great responsibility uh, to uh, to play for our community and the bettering of it. Because uh, Dobbs has placed the responsibility back in our hands, uh, which I uh, wholeheartedly agree with the Supreme Court and uh, Alito's opinion on that. Um, and so, Ryan, I appreciate the time, uh, the energy, the encouragement, and uh, your um, um, organization and you uh, on the good fight that you guys uh, do for us uh, as American citizens. So thanks for um, helping us understand a little bit more about the Dobbs decision and the role that it plays uh, in our American system of government. Thank you so much, Dan, and thank you for all you're doing. Thank you for listening to Training for Manhood. If you found the conversation to be valuable, make sure to rate us where you listen to podcasts. Also, check out additional content on our website, trainingformanhood.com. That's training, the number four, manhood.com. Until next time, in the words of King David, be strong and show yourself a man.